Admit it, people. You thought we'd forgotten about you. How dare you doubt us? We haven't forgotten about you. Welcome to a special Thursday edition of the Let's Run.com track podcast. Robert Johnson here, welcoming you to an amazing show. We wanted to wait two days because we wanted more information. Fall is here, folks. Today's the first day of fall. Happy fall. And that means NCAA Cross Country is coming up and the BMW Berlin Marathon is this week. And on Sunday, we wanted to have all the scoop. We will break it down for you in great detail. Will Elliot Kipchoge get the world record? Will Kira D'Amato get the American record? Weather is going to be amazing. We'll preview the NCAA cross country season. It gets underway this weekend with the Cowboy Jamboree at Oklahoma State in major fashion. We also have some news on freshman phenom Colin Salmon that Jonathan Golf broke. I will break that down for you. Soon to be freshman phenom Collins, uh, Connor Burns has announced his college choice. We'll talk about that. Can't wait for the show. It's finally here. Not only did we wait two days, but I had some plumbing issues that delayed us two hours. Thank you, Jonathan, for your patience. It seems to me that you're very excited for this weekend. I've just read your preview. You've boldly predicted a 201.15 world record through Mr. Elliot Kipchoge. Has anything changed in the last three hours since you published that piece? And now nothing's changed. I'm just doubting myself because my tradition usually is whenever I predict a world record in a preview, it doesn't happen. And whenever there's a world record attempt and I don't predict it to happen, it does happen. So I may have given Elliot the Jonathan Jinx, but I am excited to see Berlin. It's always a treat to watch Mr. Kipchoge run. It's going to be exciting to see if Kira D'Amato can not just set the American record, but win the Berlin Marathon. An American has never won that race. American victories in world marathon majors are few and far between. We haven't had one since Des Linden in 2018 in Boston. So that's going to be a big storyline. The only bad part about it is I'm going to have to get up at about 3 o'clock in the morning to watch this thing live. Probably going to do that. Not thrilled about it, but... I'll have to stock up with some energy drinks or coffee or something like that. But yes, should be a good weekend in Berlin. Yeah, we need to get our race, Jonathan, because later in the day, my beloved Baltimore Ravens will be taking on your New England Patriots. And sadly, one of the two teams will end the day one and two, unless they tie. I was thinking about, that's a travesty. That's like having Elliot Kipchoge, Halle Gabasoli, say Mo Farah and Kennedy say Bakile race, and one of them has to not medal. Like, how could one of these two great franchises not have a winning record? But after listening to, y- to y'all's uh, NFL takes on the Friday 15 last week, I don't want to go to NFL today because y'all were pretty off on what was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, both our teams got wins, fortunately. The Patriots beat the Steelers, and your Cowboys behind backup Cooper Rush somehow beat the Bengals, who may have the worst offensive line in the league. So congrats to both of us for riding the ship, going to one and one Big showdown. I guess Baltimore, yeah, we didn't pick the Baltimore-Miami game. You're passing yourself off as a Ravens fan now. If you have two NFL teams, you really don't have any, but that's enough football talk. Well then, let's bring you into the show. Are you excited about Berlin? Are you excited about cross-country? Are you excited about something else? How are we doing? Thank you, John. Thank you. I'm very excited about Berlin. I haven't woken up early for Berlin in a long time. 
but my winless over 40 soccer team no game this weekend apparently so i will be up early watching yes i would have prioritized my winless soccer team over waking up early for berlin i, I would have watched the second half probably still might just watch the second half but i'll be helping you guys with the recaps but i mean do we just start right away that john's hot take about the world record is wrong not gonna happen or should we go somewhere else? And also, I thought I thought it was let's run policy, John, that Robert took you to the Baltimore Ravens New England Patriots game. I remember last year that happened. I think right after the New York City Marathon. I thought that was just like a standard policy. Now, anytime a team's play, he buys you a seat. Robert, there's still time. Book your pit ticket up to Boston. We'll head down to Foxborough. I'll drive us down off to Berlin. It's a one o'clock kickoff. Plenty of time. I mean. No, this was 2019. Well, then we went to the Ravens Patriots game Sunday night football, but office still stands. I, I didn't want to bring that up. I'm kind of devastated. Like I invited John to my house and I'm still waiting for him to invite me to. His I house. just invite you. I said, if you want to come down here, I'll happily host you. We can go to the game together, grab a beer. I'm happy to do it. You can buy the tickets or, um, you know, you, so John's like, it's like a fake inv- invitation. You know, I keep asking Emily, my wife, like, Emily, check the mail. Maybe Johnson, an old-fashioned paper invitation. She's like, no, not today, honey. And I, my son, my little four-year-old son's like, Dad, you seem down. I said, well, I thought Jonathan and I were friends. I can realize now he's just using me for the free tickets. All right, guys, let's start with Berlin. And if you want the Berlin recap, we shifted everything forward because we're doing a live show Sunday. We're doing a live show now at like Are five we? in the morning when the race finishes. Yeah. Or no, at some point Sunday, it might be at 8 a.m. Probably be smart to do it at 5 a.m. Actually, we'll have a live show. But if you want it as a podcast, most people don't want to wake up at some undetermined time. Not sure we're going to do it and listen. But we have the loyal people on YouTube. We just have the app and they get notified and they listen. If you want it as a podcast, you need to be a supporters club member. Join today. Let's run.com slash subscribe. You can save 20% on running shoes. Uh, you get all the Let's Run content, a three-second podcast every week. You join for a year. You get one of the softest running shirts in the business. Enhanced features, less advertising on the website. Check it out now. Let's run.com slash subscribe. But with Berlin, guys, we got to start with the women's race. Sorry, Ella Kipchoge, because I assume this happened... This will be a test of John's knowledge because we I didn't prep for this beforehand. I assume this happened with Dina Castor, but the number one seed at the BMW Berlin Marathon is an American. I don't think this has happened at a world marathon major, I assume, since Dina Castor. But it may not have even happened with her. I've been trying to figure it out as to... I think she's been the number one seed before but whether she was the favorite or not. Now, she won London in 20, 2006, in 2.19.36, which was the fourth fastest time in history at the time. She went to run New York that fall, but Rita Jeptu, the notorious Rita Jeptu, who had won Boston earlier that year, was also running New York. Now, maybe Dina was the favorite for that race. I was looking 2007, the Boston Marathon, Dina ran it along with Rita Jeptu and Yelena Prokop-Kuka, who won New York in 2006. The New York Times 
pre-race article was saying they were all co-favorites. So I think Diener at some point in her career probably was a pre-race favorite. But other than that, this is, I would say, the only time an American woman has entered a world marathon major as the favorite during the world marathon majors era, which began in about 2005, 2006, which is pretty interesting. I guess my question to you would be, is she the favorite? She does have the fastest seed time by quite a bit. Two nineteen twelve. Number two seed is Gutani Shone Imana of Ethiopia at two twenty eleven. But we do have a 65, 34 half marathoner making a debut Rosemary Wanjiru from Kenya. And if you remember last year, Godi Tom Gebreslas, who is now the world champion, won Berlin in her debut. So it's not unprecedented for someone to come in and win their first time out. Do you guys think Kira is the favorite? Would you give her that status? I don't think I should admit this, but I will. Hey, I haven't done the research on other women. Do I? It doesn't really matter if she, I think she's the favorite. I think it's cool. Like I actually had done the research to figure out when the last time American was the number one seed. Unfortunately, I don't have in front of me. But in terms of fastest time, I guess she's probably technically the favorite on paper. Do I think she's going to win? No. I'll take the field on this one for sure. But are, would her betting odds be the first, John? You, you've analyzed these other women. What do you think? I think she's got a pretty good shot because, again, she ran 219.12. Her results this year, I know she only ran 223 at Worlds, but she had two weeks to prep for that race. She wasn't training for a marathon at that point. Since then, she won the Falmouth Road Race, first American winner since 2011. And then she ran a really good race three weeks ago at the US 20K Champs, 64.29. That's 68.01 half marathon pace. It was very humid. And if you look back at what she ran just before Houston, she ran 67.55. That was six weeks before. She ran 219.12. But the conditions in Berlin, we'll have the weather report from Rojo in a minute. The conditions in Berlin are going to be better than Houston because Houston was a little cold and windy. Berlin, not as windy. A little warmer, but not too warm. So she's in really good shape. I, I think probably you would have her as the favorite, but then you have some other... like. Yeah, you're not. She's certainly not strong enough to be. You take her over the field, but then there are a couple other women who I, I think are somewhat intriguing. Bekelech Gudeda of Ethiopia is one of them. She won Prague earlier this year by over two minutes in two twenty two fifty six. You would say, okay, that's three and a half minutes slower than Kira's PB, but she also ran sixty six thirty five at the Istanbul Istanbul Half Marathon in March. She ran a half marathon on August 28th in Klagenfurt, 68.05. So it's very similar by what to what Kira did. She won by more than a minute there. So Gudeda, I would say, is someone who has a shot to win. You've also got Vivian Shepkarui of Kenya, who has only run two marathons in her career, Vienna last year or Vienna this year. She's won both of them, though. She ran 2.20.59 earlier this year. And has run 68.02 in the half marathon. So I think those two, plus the debutante I mentioned earlier, Wayne Jiru, who has run 65.34. She's run 29.50 for the 10K on the roads. That's flying. And she ran a 67.36 half marathon earlier this year in April. So those are all contenders. And then you've also got this woman, Maureen Chepkamoy, who won the Onshed Marathon in the Netherlands in April, 2.21.10. So... 
there are a bunch of women in this sort of 220 range, and I think it's probably going to take 218 high or 219 to win. What I expect is you're going to probably see a bunch of maybe five or six of them go out somewhere between 69 flat and 69.30, and one of them is going to be able to hang on and run a little under 219, and that might be Kira DeMondo, and if she does that, she's going to win and she's going to set the American record, but there are certainly other candidates to do that. Guys, I hate to agree with Rojo, but I got to do it. I'm not sure he said she's the favorite. I think she's the favorite for this race. But is she going to beat the field? No, I I would have to pick the field. I I can't pick anyone necessarily over her. Her, Rosemary Wanjuru, the 65-minute half marathoner is making her debut. Is the favorite. We need some help. We need people who understand German to scour the internet. There has to be betting on the Berlin Marathon, right? You think in Germany, John? I'm not sure. Gar sport is minor. There better be. Because coming into this one, Kira's always said there's never been anyone in this field with a faster seed than her. But, well, I don't know if it was this week, but Nancy Jelagat, the Valencia Marathon winner with a 219.31 PB. No question she was the favorite for me over Kira. She's a 65-21 half marathoner. But, I mean, there's question marks here, right? Well, she's out of the field. Let's make that clear. She's in withdrawal. I didn't make that clear. She's out. So everyone else has run multiple marathons and is slower than Kira. And then can the Wanjiru debut go well? That's the question. Just super cool that, who would have thought Kira DiMato is the number one seed at the Berlin Marathon. Yeah, I mean, this was would have been a crazy story five years ago when she wasn't on anyone's radar. She was 32. But even one year ago, this would have been a surprise. Her PB was 222.56. She got fourth in the Chicago Marathon last fall. She was the third American in that race. Now, I think she may have had an abbreviated build-up. wasn't quite 100% for that, but... To say one year later she's going to go to a world marathon major and she's going to be the favorite, you've been like, what the hell happened in between? And what happened was she ran 67.55 in the half marathon and then she won Houston in 219.12. So pretty nuts. I've got some audio from the press conference today. I think we should play that. Any new rule, anytime anyone is the number one seed in a marathon, we'll play their... From America, we'll play some audio from the press conference, a little introduction of Kira, and more. And let's welcome on stage Kira D'Amato, the American record holder in the marathon. Kira with the best of uh, 2.19.12. Uh, are you excited to run here already? Yeah, I'm really excited, and it really doesn't matter how fast you make it to the starting line. It's all about who makes it to the finish line first, so yeah, that's a goal. <laughs> Your American record, of course, 219, a fantastic time. You sm- smashed the American record. And uh, what can we expect or what are you expecting of yourself to do on Sunday? Yeah, I'd like to run faster than that. There's a number of American women that I think are also gunning for that record. So I think if I don't lower it myself, it's not going to be mine for very much longer. So mm-hmm. um, my goal is to try to run faster than I did in Houston. So, guys. Let's hear it. Do you think she'll run faster than she did in Houston? 
I, I've changed my mind on this. I, I was Debbie Downer. It's because my water's cut off. I can't even take a damn shower. Screw you, people. I might have to sue my neighbor for this. Anyways, um, I got to get excited. How cool is this? The more I think about it, yes, yeah, she's going to run faster than she did in Houston. She's going to break the American record. Like, it was windy as hell in Houston, right? Are they going to have male pacers in this one, John? In Berlin? I believe so. They didn't say specifically, but it seemed like everyone gets to bring their own paces. Well, I mean, Houston, it was windy and she did it. The only reason why she wouldn't do it, I guess, is it hasn't had the full buildup, but she was planning on doing a full marathon all along. She just kind of hopped in worlds in the middle. Well, and she's a year older. So. Well, eight months older. Well, fair enough. I'm being sexist because I'm going to predict that she does it. But L.A. Kipchoge does not. Women get better as they age. They're like a fine wine. Men, we get worse. Little known fact here. Who's older, Kira D'Amato or L.A. Kipchoge? Oh, I was about to do that, Robert, because I was looking at her birthday and his birthday. She's like two weeks older than Elliot, which is insane because insane. Elliot has been a fixture <laughs> of our running lives since 2003 when he won the world championships. And Kira Tomato, <laughs> that whole time, I mean, she did run NCAA cross country, ran pretty well. She was a decent collegian, but that is really crazy that officially they're only two weeks apart. I mean, what an amazing story. I mean, she was really good. Got so excited there and knocked my camera off. She was really good at cross country in college, but not good at track. And then, as Walton said, this is like the coolest story ever. I've got to be excited for it. I've got to root for her. And I just, yeah, she's 15 days older than, than Kipchoge. So, I mean, I guess we can talk about the men's race too, but I don't know. Like, she's motivated. She wouldn't be going to Berlin unless she thought she could do it. I guess that the same could be true of Kipchoge. But, I don't know. Women seem to be getting better. But eventually, Father Time's going to catch both of them. Robert, we shouldn't assume that all our visitors know the coolest story ever. I got into some hot water when she broke the American record. This is a lady who'd been away, was a good college runner, was away from the sport for seven years. And if he comes back at the age of 37 to break the American record, come on. One of the coolest stories out there. I said as much. Do I have to say my former friend? Essentially, if he calls me a racist, Alan Abramson, who helped me with some journalism stuff back in the day, helped me get my first Olympic press credential. Didn't like it. But. Guys, guess what they were talking about today at the press conference? Her lost appearance of the Berlin Marathon 2019. Oh, well, they did mention that, I think. Well, yeah, let's, let's, that, John, that's a great data point. This is not Kira's first time in Berlin. She ran Berlin in 2019 and ran 234. This shows how far she's come. So this is either one of the coolest stories in the sport or like the worst story because you the other other story, she's doping, right? I mean, like, I don't think that at all, but the sport is what it is. Now they're talking about how far, how far she came, her backstory. Here's 35 seconds on that. You did your studies, then you um, had a family, you had kids, and you stopped running. And then all of a sudden, what happened after seven years? 
Well, I had kids. <laughs> and kids uh, with a lot of energy, I needed a way to get my energy out, too. So I started running a little bit. And my husband uh, is military, so he was deployed, too. So mm-hmm. um, it was a lonely time for me, and I filled that space with running at the time. And then I just kept setting new goals and hitting that goal and thinking, like, well, what's next? And uh, somehow I ended up here. <laughs> somehow. So there you have it. It's like the Beatles. Cure D'Amato mania in Berlin. And I mean, her husband was deployed. She had two kids on her own. I mean, two kids. I mean, not on her own, but she's watching them by herself. Her husband's overseas. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to become a competitive marathoner again. I think she just was, she actually just said, I'm just going to run a marathon again. And boom, 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 fast forward, fast forward, fast forward, American record holder. It's amazing. Was she hiring a babysitter when she was running? Like I, I use my kids as an excuse not to run. Somehow she was finding time to run. Maybe she got another person to babysit. But not, you mentioned the other alternative, which would be the most sinister story ever. Not only would it be sinister, and for the record, I think Kira's clean, but if she is doping, that means Alan Webb's a doper too because they have the same coach. So I don't understand. Oh, oh definitely, John. You, Wait, no, no, no. Hold, hold on one John, second. Hold on one second. Hold on you, one second. No. You have you are the guy who for the last two years had said Shelby Houlihan, she might be doping, but everyone in Bauman Track Club's clean because I believe in Jerry Schumacher. And now you're saying if Kira D'Amato's doping, which by the way, none of us believe, but register as a certainly as a, as a possibility, then therefore Alan Webb, who is a high school phenom from his junior year, he ran 353, an 18-year-old, he must be doping. I just don't understand. What's your logic on this one? I think if it, if Kira D'Amato is exposed as a doper, then I think, yes, that means Alan Webb was a doper during his career and the common threat of Scott Roscoe. Scott Roscoe deserves praise. How come every other coach, Ritz and I, all John does all summer long is, oh, the ONC and Ritz and Ritz and Ritz, he made the runners. I, I never understood it. Certain coaches get credit for like making runners, and then certain coaches don't even show up. Like Scott Roscoe has coached the American record holder in the mile on the men's side and the marathon on the women's side. Controversial coach in the sense of on let's run this guy was viewed as a complete moron for like five years like i remember meeting scott at the reebok boston indoor games i think he had a different name you know early in webb's career in the middle of webb's career and i remember talking to him and thinking wow he's not a total idiot like i like he's been made out to be on let's run.com he actually knows a few things about running so it's a cool story but john i see how you're trying to say i'm a hypocrite but no this guy would only have two prominent runners and if one of them tests positive, then you're much more likely to think they're both 30. And, you know, sort of setting weird things, like to be that good that early for Webb was unusual. To be this good this late in your career is pretty unusual for, as well. So that would be the comment. That would be more suspicious to me than Bowerman, which has like 20 athletes that are tested all the time, and only one has tested positive. So basically, I'm saying one out of 20 test positive is a 5% rate. One out of two test positive, that's a 50% rate. That's my logic there. Okay, I still kind of get it, but you just just throwing blame on the coach does seem a little bit unfair. Wait, this guy me. deserves to be praised. Scott, please come on to the podcast. He, we, need to have, we, we, we need to reach out to him. All right, let's move to the men's race a little bit. Ellie Kipchoge going for the race. John talked about the weather. There's been a threat on Let's Run for days saying the weather's going to be perfect, and it pretty much is going to be perfect. I mean, I asked John Kellogg, he said, well, you want a little bit cooler. But like 53 to 58 degrees. 
four mile per hour winds and very high humidity. It's going to be like 89% at the start. When you think high humidity, that's actually good. Moist air is less dense than dry air, according to John Kellogg. So the dew point's going to be like super low, like in the 50s. So you want that little moisture. It's going to be perfect conditions. So wait, can I dig into this a little further? What if the temperature is higher? What if it's 75? Is humidity still better for running? I've been told for years on this podcast, it is not. So please explain yourself. I asked John Kellogg that. He said, it's not like it's going to be muggy. When it gets hot, it gets muggy. I don't know. But he said it was better than it was moist. I mean, the dew point, the dew point is the key and it's in the 50s, which is ideal. The weather should be great. And from what I've heard, I spoke with Kipchoge's manager, Valentine Trower, this week. He told me he thinks the fitness is very similar to when he ran 201.39 in Berlin in 2018. He thinks it's similar to when he ran 159.40 in the breaking two attempt in Vienna in 2019. So pretty much as good as he's ever been. Remember, he ran 202.40 earlier this year in Tokyo, but that wasn't a world record attempt. They also lost some time by taking a wrong turn. He's fit. And the question is, okay, is he going to be able to run faster than 201.39? And my rationale for why I said yes is because the weather is, is good. And he didn't really pace it that well the last time if he's trying to run as fast as possible. If he was trying to break the world record, which at the time was only 202.57, it was fine. But his paces kind of let him down. They went out ahead of world record pace, but then they slowed down with a couple of 1437s back-to-back for the second and third 5Ks. That's too slow. They were 15, 40, sorry, they were 43.38 at 15K, which is 202.44 pace. And then they came through at 61.06, which is obviously for halfway, which is faster, and they closed in 60.33 for a second half. That, to me, tells you if you can even out those splits a little, and look, it's going to be hard to find pacemakers who can really get to halfway at 61 flat or however fast they're planning on going. It would, I guess it would be 60. That's not even fast enough. It'd need to be 60, 45 or so feeling good. One of the guys he's, who's pacing him is Noah Kip Kemboy. He's PB 60, 52. The other one is Moses Koech, who's run 59, 31. But I think if he can run a little bit faster for the first half and closer to even splits, that's where they're going to make up the time compared to 201.39. It's possible. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he ran under 201. I've, I'm done putting limits on this guy. I said he didn't couldn't break too flat even in a manufactured record attempt back in 2017. Well, he ended up doing that. So who knows how good this guy can be. But I do think if they pace it a little better, that's how they're going to get an improvement on 201.39. Just looking at the halfway splits, John, I'm not convinced the pacing was that bad. I mean, I think, still think a negative split is the way to run it. But I need to hear the math on some of those early splits. What were you saying the pace was at 15K? Sounds like they were way off. So they ran 14.37 for their second 5K and their third 5K. And that's 203.21 marathon pace. So... Those two, like, that's not how you would draw it up to run a world record, let alone running 201.39. So that was the area I think can be improved. Overall, I don't think the pacing was that bad, especially when Kipchoge was just serving as his own pacer in the second half when everyone dropped out. But the key is just, I think, if the paces aren't 
doing what they need to do or they're starting to struggle. Kipchoge just needs to say, look, I'm taking over. I can handle this myself. Interesting. While you guys were talking about that, I was looking up the weather from September 16th, 2018. Looks like it was almost the same as this year. High humidity, a little bit warmer then, but the wind was one mile per hour. Gust of four. Today I saw wind winds at four miles per hour, but basically almost exactly the same. I mean, if you had dead still versus four miles an hour, that make a little bit of difference. But oh, look, they better not have. It, 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 he, he's skipping London, and they can't find a guy. I would want a guy with a fifty-nine flat PB or that capability, talent level, to lead this thing out in sixty thirty-three. So sixty-one owes something. 60, 50, 50, 33. 60-33 wasn't terrible, but I don't know. I guess I should be excited. I like to root against it. Before, when he said he's done this Berlin things, like. When Gabriel Celeste, before we could watch these races, would do Berlin every year and then go to Dubai, just did nothing for me. Now that I get to watch it, I guess I should be excited. But the great John Kellogg has predicted no world record. He's predicted between uh, 202. And I, I think that's what it's interesting. You know, we've got a poll here in the article on Let's Run. And there's kind of a math problem here, John. Have you, have you noticed this? I didn't create this poll. So. I don't know what the math problem is here. It's in our esteemed. We always say the best part about Let's Run is the visitors, but will Elliot Kipchoge break the marathon world record? Wow, it's gone up since I last looked. 76% of the people are saying yes. 24% are saying no. But then when you, then I have 74% a separate poll. 74% of How? the people are saying yes. 76 are saying yes, 24 now. Then I say, How fast will Elliot Kipchoge run on Sunday? And I have the various oh. options. Sub 201, 31%. 201 to 201, 39 is 43%. So if you add that up, that's 74% are saying he's oh, going to break Oh, that's what I was going off of. Yeah. And 27. So some people have changed their picks a little bit between the two. But wow, it's almost three to one. Before it was like it was like two out of three. Now it's three out of four. Um, so, but if they don't have a good rabbit, it's going to absolutely anger me. Look, I'm going that he's not breaking the record. He's got to slow down. I've been saying it for a long time. The broken clock will eventually be right, so I just got to keep doubling down. And, uh, and like Robert said, when Gabriel Selassie would just go for these pancake flat courses all the time, if you don't get the record, it's kind of boring. But the one thing that I still can't wrap my head around, do you got 2019, besides Kier D'Amato running 234. It's crazy. Now she's the number one seed. I mean, this shows how long ago it was. There was a 37-year-old in the Berlin Marathon named Knesset Bekele, and no one expected anything. The year before, Eli Kipchoge had run 201.39, and goddammit, sorry, Lord, for offending you, Bekele runs 201.41. If he could do that at 37, Kipchoge can run a lot faster. I, right? I mean, it, I, I just would have to assume. Absolutely. I Kipchoge has to slow down, has to slow down. He's too old. But Kele did it at 37. It's not just the age. It's just, if we think that Kipchoge is the greatest marathoner we've ever seen by a significant margin, which I think is the case, he should have a bigger cushion on number two in history than two seconds. And that's why I think sub 201 might be possible because, look, Bekele is super, super talent, no doubt. 
But I think in the marathon, Kipchoge is even better. And Kipchoge is best. I would I would say it's better than two seconds, better than Bekele is best. So yeah, good point, Weldon. Wait, why wasn't Bekele selected for breaking two? I'm offended. I'm offended. He wasn't healthy. They needed, and they also did all these biometrical studies and all that sort of stuff. But my guess is he just wasn't fit to run. That's an amazing point. If Bekele did it at 37, I shouldn't think Kipchoge is old. By the way, another point here. You guys know how old Meb was when he won Boston? 38. Almost 39, actually. You can be near your peak. Like, it'll be fascinating if he wins the third Olympics. 2024, he'll be, what, 39? Like, Roger Federer just retired at 41. Serena Williams, isn't she 41 as well? Like, your body goes. You can be right near your peak, and then two or three years later, you're shot. Now, Tom Brady's apparently still not shot. But well, the first couple of weeks, people are making the pointing his stats. They're not very impressive through two games of the 2022 season, Robert. But Tony slaughtered America's team. Slaughtered? They kicked a bunch of field goals. Do you watch the game? John, look, you don't think your performance would slack off no matter what you'd accomplished if your Brazilian supermodel wife just flew off to another country and left you? Give the guy some slack, buddy. Oh, I'm, I don't mean to be... Uh, sacrilegious towards our Lord and Savior, Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr., but I- I'm not counting him out. I'm just saying the first two weeks he hasn't covered himself in glory, but Tom Tom comes to play when it matters. Let's go off topic running here. I've got two two hypotheticals here. One, John, would it violate the bro code for you to date Giselle if she's single? Would you do that? Like if she said, John, I'm into you? Violating the bro code. The problem is me and Tom Brady aren't bros. Why not? I wish I wish we were bros, but we're not. So would it violate the bro code? No. But would I get probably a lot of unwelcome attention in New England? Probably. So So you won't date her if she wants to date you? I, I'm open to the possibility, we'll say that. But she's she's currently married to Tom, so I don't want to violate anything there. That's not my I'm not waiting into that. The outside pressure and the stepdad status would just be a little much for <laughs> John has been living his own life. It'll be like the, it'll be like Daddy's Home, that terrible Mark Wahlberg movie. Yeah, where there's he's got the, the stepdad and everything. Oh my god, yeah. The second most important thing, sports related here, is I'm starting a thread on this and let's run. Check it out. It'll be up by the time this podcast is out. Is Aaron Judge is having an amazing season for the New York Yankees? He's already hit 60 homers, so the 61 and 62, and they're saying like I think the 62nd homer is going to be worth a lot, and then whatever the final number is. They're saying the ball might be worth a million dollars instantly, maybe five million. If you catch the ball, would you give it up to Aaron Judge, like for the standard autograph stuff? I'll answer this question first. Five years ago, I probably might have said yes, like you want to do the right thing, set an example for my son. Nowadays, absolutely not. I think of myself as the voice of the fans. Let's run as the voice of the fans. I'm thinking about starting a fan union. Right after I write my children's books, I'm going to start a fan union. Like the fans are never given a voice. The players have have a union. Why don't the fans have a union? They charge you through the roof. You got to pay like five hundred, eight hundred dollars just to go sit in the bleachers for this thing, so this guy can make thirty five million dollars a year, whatever he's going to make next year. And a lottery ticket is shot into the outfield. You're lucky enough to catch it. It's worth millions of dollars. Hey, buddy, Mr. Judge, you want this ball? You write me a check for $1 million. I'd sell it for a million. I'd be the nice guy and I'd sell it for the full five. I would sell it to Judge himself for $1 million and take the vitriol. 
Do you remember last year, Tom Brady was the all-time touchdown record? Uh, or no, or maybe it was his final touchdown. It, there was some ball, I think it would, maybe it was his final regular season touchdown or final playoff touchdown. And the guy got like sweets to the Buccaneers games for the entire next season. And Tom Brady gave him a Bitcoin, which at that point was worth like $45,000, all that sort of stuff. And that, that was, I feel like that was a pretty nice deal. He got a signed jersey and all stuff. He got to meet Tom. I feel like that's pretty nice reward. It's not maybe what it would have fetched on the open market. And now, of course, the ball is like kind of worthless because Brady came back for another season. But if that was what Aaron Judge was offering, I think I'd be I'd certainly consider taking that. But yeah, if it's I don't know if it's five million. I don't think even Aaron Judge could begrudge someone selling a ball for five million. Oh, John, I thought you were going to tell the story how the guy who wait no. He offered him a Bitcoin? He gave him a Bitcoin. I thought someone, there was a different ball that somebody bought at auction like the day before Tom Brady came up. He paid like a hundred grand for a ball, some touchdown ball. It's going to be Tom Brady's last touchdown. Yeah, I think one was like, one broke like the NFL career touchdown record and the other one was like Brady's final touchdown pass to the NFL. Yeah, and some guy paid like a hundred grand for that and then two days later, Brady came out of retirement. Oops. But... Friend of a friend, this happened to. Caught Derek Jeter's 3,000th hit, which was a homer at Yankee Stadium. What'd they do with the ball? Turned it over. What'd they get? Yankee guy. I think the guy got a job. Did they get a gift basket like Jeter would send home with his... This is my sister-in-law's love friend. Love the night after. <laughs> I think he got a job out of it. Okay, a job. That's pretty good. Jeter set him up somewhere. He got some job. He was trying to get in sports or something. So that's fair, but right. It's Robert said, let's say, I don't know what the value is to ball, but someone comes and like hands you a briefcase with like 300 grand and they're like, hey, can you give the briefcase back? It really means a lot to me. I'm not sure I would, but I lament that sports is just about money. And speaking of fans unions, Robert, they have them in Europe for soccer and soccer tickets are very inexpensive as a result because the, Essentially, they'll go riot. If in England, like they go protest down the streets if they raise the prices too much. And so, like, season tickets at like Liverpool are like a thousand dollars. It's crazy. You pay more to go to Philadelphia Union games. I'm going to the Liverpool Brighton game the day before the London Marathon and 30 pounds. That's the face value of the ticket I'm going. That's all I had to pay for it. So, it's pretty crazy for, their, for an away ticket. It doesn't make sense, but I heard TV's really expensive over there. It just makes no sense. 30 pounds to go to a game? Liverpool, which Liverpool, Brighton, if this was like, on, they don't do resale, but if it was on the open market, a Premier League game with Liverpool, it would be way, way more than that. But every game doesn't sell out. But I think here, what the union does, essentially is that the fans come, but what about the expensive seats? you think they'd still fight for the good seats? Maybe there's like a waiting list and it's just like, sorry. But it, here we got companies, you know, you'll pay like, a grand for a seat for a Yankees game. I'm sure box seats, a grand a ticket or something. Crazy, one game. Okay, enough sports talk. I mean, 10 years ago, I would have given the ball up. Now it's changed. Now, I was thinking, about how would I explain this to my son? I don't want to come across as greedy. And I think it's sick. I think all this emphasis on money and Texas doesn't play Texas A&M in football anymore. It's sick. But at this, so I'm just, I'm going to buy into the sickness on this one ball. Now, maybe if I got to hung out, hang out with Judge and become best buds with him. I don't know, man. Anyways. I'll so, give you your ball if we become best friends and you have to hang out with me once per year for the next 20 years. 
And that sounds kind of forced too, right? <laughs> Make him like come to your house and sign autographs. <laughs> yeah, two hours a week, two hours a year. Well, that's what this article. I was reading this article about it, and someone's like, "Look, you can go to an autograph show and get if if, if judge get you know if, if judge gives you the Jeter bag that he gave the chick that he slept with when they left the apartment the next morning, like you could just go to the autograph show and buy that for like five hundred bucks." So, all right. Back to the race. Kira D'Amato here. No, we sorry. We already finished Kira D'Amato, but we think she's going to get the American record. Kipchoge. So you guys are both saying that he doesn't get it. And also, I just want to say one other point for this. I'm excited to see Kipchoge run because he's the GOAT. It's always a pleasure to watch him run. I just like him. The, the last few miles, it's beautiful. It's poetry in motion. That said... I'd be way more excited if he was running New York this year. And not just because I'm going to be in New York and it's an American race. It's just more exciting to me. We've seen him break the world record before. We've seen him just destroy people and run really fast. We've never seen him on a hilly course like New York. That, that, that's the unknown. That's more exciting to me than him going to Berlin running. You know, Maybe I, I reserve the right to change this if he goes out and runs like two flat 45, but... What I'm more excited for going into it, it would much rather be seeing him run New York this fall. Which his agent, Valentine Trust, Valentine Trout, tells me he does still plan to do. He said that the two big things in his the front of his mind are the Olympics in 2024 and running all four marathon majors. Now, it's a little hard to square considering he had a chance to run New York and he chose to run Berlin. But right now, clearly the world record's front of his mind. After that, he does still want to run all four majors. There's all six majors, I'll say that. I mean, do you want to keep this fairy tale going, John? World record in Berlin. Boston in the spring. New York in the fall. Then I think he'll rest up when the Olympic marathon, call it a day. But I mean, that that's, what, that's what you should do, though. If, what, if he, well, then let's say he gets the world record in Berlin and he puts it out of sight. There is no good reason for him not to do Boston and New York. If he doesn't run Boston and New York next year, I think it starts, it's time to start calling shenanigans on the guy because why, why else would he not run it? We know he's running the Olympic marathon in 2024. 2023 is the year of Kipchoge in America. Sell the t-shirts, print the tickets. He's coming. God, if, if this guy goes world record Berlin, Boston win, New York win, Paris win, he should stop right there, never run another step. And just retire as the unmitigated goat. Uh, I wasn't excited about this, but your your article got me pretty excited, John. In the sense of this is his last shot for the world record. Like the weather's perfect. He's thirty seven. This is it. So he can try his little thing. I, I'm I'm predicting no, but hey, Michaela did it at that age. It's certainly possible. And then. I, I want to go the other direction, though. I, I've changed my pick. I think DeMato's going to set the American record and, and win. So, oh, see, he does this, John. So then he'll play both clips if yes. he breaks it. <laughs> Either way. I want to go the other direction. Kipchoge breaks the world record. Then he goes to Boston. Doesn't win. Goes to New York. Doesn't win. Then, hey, he was a good time for a marathon or he couldn't run a difficult course. Or it could be just father time caught up with him. That's the thing. We don't. We would. We might not know. Like maybe it's he's just old. I think Rojo. Rojo has been staking out this position for years that Kipchoge is afraid of the hills, even though he trains on a shitload of hills out in Kenya, and that 
he might not win these races. I think Roger might be on record actually saying Kipchoge will lose Boston when he runs it. So, I I mean, he would just be... Robert would take a victory lap for about a month after Boston 2023 if that happens, but I'd like to see him at least try. This is the thing. I would get excited. We have Robert hyping him up and saying there's some other guy who's run Boston twice and finished second twice and he should be the favorite instead of Kipchoge because of the hills. And I don't know. That's what I want. You know, I don't want just like, oh, how much is he going to beat everyone by? Because looking at the rest of this field, there is Guy Adola who has run 203.46. Remember, he did take the lead on on uh, Kipchoge in Berlin in 2017. And he won last year. Time wasn't super fast. It was about 205.45 because it was kind of warm. No one else in the field has broken 205. I don't even know if Adola will go with him. And if Adola doesn't go with Kipchoge, I don't think anyone's going to go for him. So I think most likely scenario is Kipchoge blows everyone away. But if he's going to have company at halfway, I think it's probably going to be Guy Adola. Or what if he blows up big time and there's no one back behind him and like Stanger's home but still wins it like a shitty 203? That would be interesting. I know. Can he hold on? I'd be interested by that. And... I was just thinking about this. No, he's not going to. Th- I just can't see him winning Boston. You know why? Tell me the last time, like, the top marathoner, well, on the women's side, it's happened, and the world won Boston. When do, they, when do they run it? Well, Jeffrey Mutai won in 2011. He was the best in the world right then. You can make a case, Robert Kipko at Chariot, when he was, I mean, he... We thought he was the best work marathon in the world because he was winning Boston every year. Or you would say he was one of the best. You could maybe make the case, but maybe Martin Lell was better or Gwenjiru. I don't know. So maybe not him. I was I, Jeffrey Mutai, for sure. Right, it's 11 years ago. But I, I guess the, really the question would be, when is the last time a world record holder won the Boston Marathon? Either sex. Catherine Nadereba, probably, right? I mean, all right, on the women's side, Paris Jepcic here, she's the best marathon in the world. She's the Olympic champion. She's run really fast. She won New York last year, and she's the reigning Boston champion. So I would say her, she, that's the last time the best marathon in the world won Boston. It's this year, Paris Jepcic here. When's the last time the world record holder did it? Yeah, probably. Oh, Endereba, I don't think she was even the world. Oh, she, okay. 2001, when she run, won Boston. But she might not have broken. She might have. She won Boston four times, but it might have been before she held the world record and after she held the world record. But I think she'd be one of them, right? Well, Rojo paced her world record two thousand one. That would have been after, unless she broke it before then too. Interesting. And also, no offense to Boston, but why did Paris Chip Turcher win Boston? Run Boston this year, John? Because there was no London in the spring. Yeah, that's probably what I'm thinking. I think if London was there, they take the money and she goes there. So as we discussed last week, John Hancock is out. They get a title sponsor. Maybe they can get a little more money. Get some of the best in the world, I think. Now, maybe it's two different skill sets, especially on the men's side, where it's been deeper. So maybe you're a time trial type, world record type marathoner. You're afraid of Boston a bit, so you don't go. Or maybe it's a money thing. The world record holder is very expensive. Look, if London gets that person. Kipchoge has won the Olympics on Rabbit. I know it's not hilly, so we'll see. I And I'm kind of stunned. I said that one day that he would never win it. I just, I, I don't know if I didn't know this at the time. You guys realize Kipchoge won world junior cross country? 
it's not like this guy's, well, I don't know. Does anyone remember what the 2003 World Junior course was like? And um, Wait, he, yeah, he, here's my other thing. I think sometimes we get too excited. We're like, oh, this guy did well in cross country. Therefore, he's going to do well in Boston and Hills. Like, does the fact that Kipchoge won some 8K race 20 years ago have anything to do with whether he's going to succeed in the Boston Marathon in 2023? I don't think so. But it's a nice little footnote. Well, no, but he's such a rhythm guy now. He can just lock into a pace. And that clearly showed, I mean, the Olympics, he can blast it whenever he wants to. But it was 2003 in Switzerland, so I'm assuming it's not totally flat or anything. Like, shows that he's, he's at least good at having his rhythm broken up. So it's one for there. All right. We got to get out the show on the road here. Do you guys want to talk about the upcoming NCAA cross-country season? There's a huge meet this weekend. John's previews are out on the website. John, by the way, I really love reading them because I just love to read the quotes from the coaches. Gives a little insight into what they're thinking. Also, sometimes I'm wondering if they're trying to send a message. Are they trying to manipulate us? I do think some coaches are master manipulators and they can manipulate the public and they also know the athletes are going to read this. So I just love that. So good job on those. Um, while you were researching that, you got some big news that Colin Solomon, the sub four miler, 356 miler, number one cross country high schooler in the country for the U.S. last year in high school, may not run, according to Mike Smith this year. He says more probable than not or something. I think that's ridiculous. I think he will run. I think this, I don't want to criticize Mike. He's an amazing coach, but I was like, is he just doing this? A, to try to lower expectations or B, to create the God complex coach. And I don't say that in a negative way. I think like I, I heard guys say back in the day to running at Stanford, they said that when, when Nana would speak to them, it was like the Messiah was speaking to them. And when the assistant coach would tell them the same information, it wasn't the same way. So I do think, oh, that's, he's so smart. Let's appear super smart. I, the way I interpret it is what Mike told me. It's not always easy adapting to training at 7,000 feet, especially if you're kind of a miler, which is what Colin Solomon, that was his best event in high school. Now, he was a great 3,200-meter runner. He won the running lane nationals. He was the top cross-country runner. But it seems in the short term, he's probably going to be more of a miler. And you can show up on campus. Look, I think he's talented enough that if you get to November, he's probably going to be in that top five. But it's not a simple transition process. And if you remember Nico Young, he went to Colin Solomon's high school. He was also the number one recruit in the class of 2020. He showed up at NAU. He didn't race in that race. They ran one race that season in the fall because it was the COVID year. He didn't run even though it wouldn't have affected his eligibility in any way. And I think it may have been a similar thing going up to that altitude. They just wanted to be a little bit more cautious with him. Now, he did run NCAA cross in March of that year, and he was sensational. He finished fourth overall. But I can sort of understand it. I, look, I think any, if any of you wants to have their best shot at winning the title this year, obviously they, they should try to run him. But Mike Smith, the guy who's seeing him every day, and if he thinks that it's better served in his development not to race this year, my guess is because it might be taking him a little longer to adapt to altitude than, you know, just he's ready to go immediately. But, but look, from a coaching standpoint, this doesn't make any sense. And I put this in the message board. 
coaching the worst guy on the team and the number one kid in the country is not that much different. You should train everybody properly. So you train them right. Like you train him like a miler who's trying to run cross country. You don't have him do the same workouts that the 10 K studs are doing and you build him up. You don't tear him down. If he's not going to be racing in the top seven and he doesn't want to try it, then you can hold him out. But if he wants to race, you let him race. Like it's not going to hurt him to go out and run a 10 K when every other college freshman in the country moves from 5k in high school to 8k, like wanting one race that's hard for you is not going to damage you long-term. And as long as he's fine with maybe not doing as well as he thinks, I think it's fine. I think it's a brilliant move from a psychological standpoint of, we don't need you. We're not counting on you. You're not the key to us winning a national championship. That part is brilliant. That's probably why he's doing it. But I don't think he's being honest when he says it's more likely than not. I think that he will run at the NCAA. Yes or no, will he run the NCAA Cross Country Championships? I'm on record right now, September 22nd. Yes, he will run. I say no. If Mike Smith says it's more likely than not that he's going to redshirt, I'm going to take him as what, and I'll say no. That's the part there, though, you don't understand. He's manipulating, not in a negative way. He's just trying to lower the expectations. He's probably telling Colin the same thing. He's probably telling himself the same thing. And he may believe this but it's not going to happen. Oh, of course well, he's trying to lower expectations on Colin. But I also think you're just saying like, oh, throwing him out there is not going to affect anything as long time. I don't know. Mike Smith, a lot better at coaching than I, I, I am. He's had ridiculous success. They've won four of the last five NCAA titles, five of the last six, but he was only the coach for four of them. I, I think he knows what he's doing. He's earned some of the benefit of the doubt that he knows how to manage okay. young talent. Look what he's done with Nico Young. Look what he's done with Abdelhamid Noor. Look what he's done with Luis Grijalva. He seems to know what he's doing. I'm going to put my trust in Mike Smith and he, that he's got the best interest for this guy at hand. The example I have is Cole Hawker. Who's better prepared for college cross country as a freshman? Cole Hawker, who was running like 30 miles a week, or Colin Solomon, who was running much more than that, probably double that at least. Solomon. Both are milers. Who's better? Yeah, Colin Solomon would have been more prepared to run well, NCAA right. cross, but... Cole Hawker didn't have to adjust to training at, at 7,000 feet. What do you mean adjust to training at 7,000 feet? Colin Solomon was going to altitude in the summer in high school. Cole Hawker was thrown out there in Oregon. He didn't do great, but he, what did he run? I forgot what he finished. What did we say 69th. It was? 69th. And it didn't ruin his mileage. Didn't ruin his career. Last time I checked, he's an Olympian. Robert, you're right. It's someone tells John something, he just believes him 100%. That's his view on journalism. Just kidding, just kidding, John. I might have been a little mean. But I don't know what to make of this one. Is he lowering expectations? Yes. But he's more likely than not to run. So I'm going to say he runs. You're literally saying the opposite of what Mike Smith told me. You, You guys are both just saying Mike Smith's lying to my face and you don't believe him. I don't think he's lying. Well, why would you say that? Does he want to light a fire under Colin? But Colin's got to be super competitive. No, he might say, he essentially said that it's more likely than not that he doesn't run. So he's thinking like he's not going to be ready. That's essentially what he's saying. I think that part is wrong and he will be ready. But I guess we're already halfway, almost into October. I'm just saying, I think he runs the in-state cross country. Otherwise, it's going to be like, what was it? The year Matt Withrow was at Wisconsin. It's like a junior phenom. They didn't run him at NCAs and they lost the national title. But for, for young years. people, time machine, 2004, I think it was, John. Yep. NCAA cross country. Wisconsin, great coach, Jerry Schumacher. 
Hey, Mike Smith, great coach. Withrow came in. He was a full locker champ. They didn't run him. I was reading on the message where people were saying he was getting dusted in a workout. So we don't know. Maybe he could have been hurt, but they didn't raise, they redshirted him. But that winter, Withrow made the professional U.S. senior cross-country team, went to Worlds, and beat Dathan Ritzenheim. He was the number one finisher for the U.S. Middle no. Eastern. Yes, no. he was. Yes, he was. What? Walton didn't even know that. Yep. 60th place. Now, it wasn't that high. It was 60th place. Somebody else was 61st, and then Ritzenheim was 62nd. So that's still pretty cool, right? So, um, and, and, you know, I, I said in this article that John wrote, I added this part in, I was like, if Jerry had, maybe he was hurt, we don't know, maybe it wouldn't have helped. I mean, you have to finish in the top, like, 40 to help them. It's the same thing as this year. You basically have to be really good to help them. And, you know, he thought he wasn't quite ready. Maybe he didn't think he really needed them. They're probably going to win anyways. Now they lost to, four, to Colorado by four points. But I'm like, if Jerry runs them, Withrow did not have a very good college career in terms of track time. His freshman year, he did run 13.35 that year. But after that, he never broke 14 minutes. Now, he ran cross-country and was top 40 every all four years. But, you know, I'm like, Jerry would have been blamed. But I'm like, look, he didn't have a good career despite babying him. So just, if this kid wants to run and you think he's going to be in the top seven, let him run. Yeah, I think we've spent probably too long on this discussion. In terms of his long-term development, Probably doesn't make much of a difference whether he runs a few cross-country races this fall or he doesn't. We might be overrating that, but we'll see. John, I'm an econ major. Nothing matters in the long term. But short term, you're going to determine NCAA cross-country champion this year. And you spoke to all the coaches. You did the best men's and women's previews out there. But on the men's side, look, do you think they're going to win? This is a two-team race, right? Am I doing this wrong between NAU and Stanford? Does anyone else have a shot? I think Oklahoma State has a shot. They have the. They are running at home. They were third last year. They're bringing back six of seven. They're going to be good. But I think they need a couple things to go wrong with the top two. Whereas if Stanford or NAU, if both of them run sort of best case scenario, I think both of those ones are just better than Oklahoma State. But it's interesting because... Robert had me do this comparison of the NAU and Stanford top fives on paper because Stanford, let's here's what they're bringing back. They've got Charles Hicks, Kai Robinson, and Cole Sprout. All of those guys have run under 13.30 for 5K and under 27.50 for, for 10K. They've all finished in the top 15 at NCAA Cross. They've all finished in the top four in a track event at NCAAs. They're, they're total stars. And then they've got a couple other guys who run 1337 and 1338 who didn't make their NCAA squad last year, Thomas Boyden and Evan Burke. But, you know, that's, that's their top five on paper is all under 1340. And so Robert asked me, like, all right, we need to give the edge to these guys, NAU, Stanford. We gave the edge at four of the seven spots, five of the seven spots to Stanford. We gave NAU the edge at number four, Brody Hasty, who's a all-American last year versus Devin Hart. And then we gave the edge... So we gave it a tie at the number one spot between Nico Young and Charles Hicks. So Robert's like, we're talking it through, and I'm just like, wait, shouldn't Stanford be favorite? Like, look at the times they've run on the track. They have the most talent, right? But I don't necessarily see it that way because we know these NAU guys can run cross, 
and they have a consistent track record under Mike Smith of getting it done. They've been able to find a number five guy to contribute and get it done at the NCAA meet the last few years. That was the big question last year. Can Brody Hasty, who hadn't really done much, can he step up and you know be a solid fifth runner for them against Notre Dame? Well, it turns out Notre Dame basically shit the bed at NCAAs. Brody Hasty sh- shows up, gets 39th. So that's I'm kind of betting on the system there. And obviously they have talent. Nico Young and Drew Bosley are two of the best runners in America. George George Kush is around thirteen twenty eight. But yeah, I think it's probably a two team race on paper. But I'm giving the edge to NAU. Big picture wise, I just think it's fun because for all the years, particularly in the early days of Electron, we used to have Ryan Grote write a called the Grote poll. He hated Stanford, and people hated on Stanford, like basically hated on white privilege. All the smart, fast kids go to Stanford. And now Stanford is kind of the underdog. People, I'm kind of rooting for them just to break up the dynasty. But yeah, and, and I was like, wait, John, you've got four of the seven here for Stanford with one tie, but we're still picking NAU. And you're like, yeah. Because I do think that the, 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 the NAU's got a, a, their fourth guy has been top 40 in NCAAs. Stanford's hasn't. So they've got the track times, not necessarily XC pedigree. You know, it, it should be interesting. Um, Rounding out John's top 10, Oklahoma State is three, BYU four, Colorado five, Tulsa six, Wake Forest, John Hayes seven, Andy Pound, Washington eight, Wisconsin, McBurn nine, and Jeremy Suburb, Iowa State 10. On the women's side, it's kind of similar to the men's side in the sense of you've got the defending champs, NC State, John number one. Are they a bigger favorite than NAU is? Would you say? Oh, I think so. Got- I don't think that's a two-horse race. New Mexico is very, very good and very, very deep. But I could also see North Carolina State putting two or three in front of New Mexico's one. I, you know, I, I could see it just being a total blowout for NC State. This is how I mean. NC State's ridiculous. They qualified five women to NCAA's on the track in the five thousand last year. One of them is gone. But they replace it with, guess what? Sydney Seymour, Tennessee grad student, who also qualified for the NCAA 5000. So they've got five women who've run 1542 or faster on the track last year. And that's not counting Kelsey Camille. She ran 1520s indoors. She didn't really run much, run well outdoors. They've got Caitlin Tui, who might be the individual favorite. She's the 5K champion outdoors. They're just ridiculously loaded. They can have two women run a bad day and and still win. Whereas New Mexico, I think, is the second best team. They would really need everything to hit right. They're pretty deep, but they need a couple of their women up top to run like incredible and finish in the top 10 or 15. Then they need everyone else to kind of do their job behind it. I think just the margin of error is a lot bigger for NC State than it is for, for NAU. Dynasties are boring. We need we need we need this to be close. But like like you said, we well, even what the men said. Notre Dame last year. I guess not things a lot because they still underperformed. It was crazy. But the one thing I would say with Notre Dame was like they didn't have years and years of success. I think you can have a one-off really good year at NCAs, but the programs that are like year in year out doing it, I don't expect them to like slip up and you know fall out of the top five or something like that. Well, that's the thing. New Mexico is a consistent program. They've been on the podium five of the last seven, sorry, six of the last eight years, which is they don't screw up. Like it's just sometimes they get beat by a better team. And I think that's kind of the case with New Mexico is, sorry, 
with NC State is NC State's a better team. NC State doesn't bore me. I still view them as new. I think it's cool. They got a women's coach who was there for 20 years and now is dominating. I've always said that. There's a lot of good coaches that don't get the accolades because they don't have the recruiting. You know, they don't have the talent that other people do. Now she's kind of the hot place to go. Being coached by a woman is more enticing, I think, for women now than it was maybe 20 years ago. So it's just cool. I can't wait to get the individual title. And that 5K track stuff is really important. I mean, Alex Gibby, the Harvard coach, one time talked to me and he's like, I think I, I don't know if I've told this story in the podcast before or not. But if I did, it was a number of years ago. He's like, Robert, do you know what the key is to like cross country success? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, what the track? Like, what, what track indicates the best cross country? And I was like, He's like, I'm like, what do you mean? Like 5K or 10K? He's like, yeah. He's like, well, most people think it's the 10K because it's the same distance for the men. He's like, but it's not. He's like, it's the 5K. He's like, look, this is what he said. He's self-deprecating. He's like, you can fake it. You and I know we can fake it. You can fake it to a 10K. Your brother wasn't very good in the cross, but he can fake a 10K, get in a rhythm. You're not running that fast and just run it out. 430 pace, six miles in a row. He's like, I could fake a 10K. I forgot what Gibby's 10K PB was. He's like, but the 5K is like, it's, he's like, you're just in the hurt box from the beginning. It's a mass and it's more like cross country where it's uncomfortable. And then the 10K, you can kind of get in the rhythm and just relax a little bit. There's not as much pressure. So that's interesting story. And that supports NC State. John, well, individual I like that theory, but wait, hold on, Robert. The women run 6K. So it's just, it's not. That's not groundbreaking wisdom on the women's side because 5K is close to 6K distance. Well, this but, was pretending. I mean, he was talking for the men. So it's even more true for the women. I like that theory for the men. And I think it, I think I might actually buy some stock in that. Yes. Now, I don't know. There's been another interesting thread on the message board about the radical Harvard training. I don't know if this is a joke or if this is true. Like they run three miles and they, they do a circuit. They run three miles and they do a circuit. John, do you, you live in Boston? Can you go by the practice to see if this is true? I've never seen this happen, but you know what? We have the coast-to-coast battle in Beantown is tomorrow. Intern Carl, former intern Carl, is running for Syracuse. So I think I may need to show up. Maybe if I find Gibby there, I'll, I'll ask him if this radical training is true. So anyways, John's got NC State, New Mexico, Colorado, Oklahoma State. First time on the podium if they do get that for Dave Smith's team. And they're a great female assistant. Help me out with her name, John. Anna Boyett Thorpe. I think that's her. Dave's telling me good things about her. Anyways, they've got a good team. That would be their first time on the podium. Then Notre Dame, Stanford, Alabama, BYU, Arkansas, and North Carolina. Shout out to the North Carolina coach, Dylan Sorensen, for this quote. Something I've read many times on your site is that talent does not go away. When he's talking about Sidney Mascarella, who was the 2018 Footlocker champion as a sophomore, had some struggles since then. So it's good to see that the coaches are let's run readers, John, and are using our wisdom to help keep some of the greatest talents motivated and in the sport. One thing he didn't really talk about was the individual race. Who do you see as the favorites for the men and women? Man, I would pick Nico Young. He's run 13-11 for 5,000 meters. He was fourth two years ago. He's down to, what, 11th or something last year. So he wasn't the top returner, but I think he's probably the most talented cross-country. We, we've said this. He's one of the most talented cross-country runners ever at the high school level in the United States. This is now his third year. 
He was really good last year on the track. I think Nico is the favorite, but Charles Hicks from Stanford, who was fourth last year, a very consistent performer, he's going to be up there. Kai Robinson from Stanford will be up there. Uh, those are kind of the – and look, it's it's possible we could see – this always seems to happen that there's some Kenyan from a school we're not maybe totally familiar will pop up on our radars. It happened with Lawila Lang in 2011, Arizona. Steven Sambu, Kennedy Kathuka. Sometimes that does happen. So I'm bracing myself for a surprise candidate, but I would say it's probably Young or Hicks would be the two favorites. I'd go with Young. On the women's side, it's either Caitlin Tui or Mercy Challengart, who was the champion in 2020. She was also the 10K champion on the track last year. You could also make a case for Taylor Rowe from Oklahoma State. She was second in 2020, and she was also the 3K champion indoors. So I would say Tui and Nico Young, uh, but they're, you know, they're, they're not, obviously they're not locks. Well, what if Nico Young and Caitlin Tui win? That's what we needed in Let's Run, John. People love the high school phenoms. That would be a big that would be a big deal for the Let's Run hype machine, especially because look, I don't want to disc- I'm not going to discredit Conor Mance's wins. He won back to back, but when's the last time an American, like a third year American collegian, won NCAA's? Galen Rupp won as a fifth year in 2008. You know, Adam Goucher, I think, was a fifth year when he won. Chris Zielinski, I'm trying to think, go back to Chris Zielinski didn't win NCAA cross, so he won Foot Lockers, but. Josh Rohatinsky, sorry, Josh Rohatinsky, Josh McDougal. I think they might have been fifth. Uh, Josh McDougal. Josh McDougal would have been his fourth year, I think, when he won at Liberty. But yeah, a guy winning in his third year of college, an American doing it, that would be a big deal. It would. Doesn't seem as like we have quite as many Kenyans as we used to back in the day. Maybe Americans are just burning, but running better. Speaking of former. Team Phenom, do we want to do a whole segment on Jordan Hesse running 17-32 for 5K over the weekend at the Philadelphia or Destitch run? Apparently, she ran the 5K, ran that 17 minutes, and then hopped in the half marathon as a bandit 10 minutes later, ran that in like one, is it 123 or 143 or something. 123, I think. I don't think it's worth getting worked up over this. Her last races. The last time we talked around on her podcast, it was because her races weren't going well. We said, is she done? I kind of was like, I don't think it's worth discussing her until she sort of puts a performance on the map that suggests she might be coming back. This is not that. So I don't know if there's worth having a discussion on it. Fair enough. By the way, I've got the half marathon time, one twenty three seventeen. Someone on the message board did, did did describe it. It says her decline from running 520 pace for a marathon to 536 pace for a 5000 is unprecedented. I asked Jonathan uh, uh, John Kellogg if that was true. And look, this reminds me of like Ryan Hall and Alberto Salazar. Like once their endocrine system got shot, they were kind of just done. They didn't struggle to this extent. They didn't run those times that far off. They just probably wouldn't bother if they were that much slower. But I don't know. I mean, John Kellogg was telling me about college women that he knew of that ran, you know, 208 freshman year and then are running 240 before they're done. So it's not unprecedented is what he said. So, look, I love Jordan. Thinks she was great for the sport. She was a teen phenom, college star. 
then kind of had some struggles. Then it's so good in the marathon when she first starts it. It's just a shame to see her um, struggling. But by the way, well, then please remind me to link to this. There is some good news on her on her on this. She's very happy in her personal life, and she has posted on Instagram a photo of her boyfriend. Y'all may not think it's pr- appropriate for me to talk about her personal life, but in this thread, people are like, does her boyfriend look like a male version of Jordan Hesse or Galen Rupp? It's an amazing post because he does look like both. He looks like Jordan and Galen Rupp. So we'll link to that in the show notes for some fun. And speaking of fun, that brings me to my email of the week. Wait, 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 wait. Can I comment about Jordan? Yes. It's kind of crazy. But I wrote her off after college. She's only 31. But her last good performance, we're back to the year that keeps coming up in this podcast, 2019. She was third at the Boston Marathon. So that's not too long ago. I mean, Kira D'Amato was a 234 marathoner back then. Okay, Robert, let's hear it. Email of the week. So I got an email. This person doesn't want me to say their name on the internet. So let's call him Jack. He's complaining. We, we know, we've really tried to moderate the message board better. We do delete more stuff now. Some people aren't happy about this. And he's like, hey, why was my post deleted? And I looked at it and said, okay, we'll put it back up. And he said, thank you so much for reading, answering my email and for reinstating my post. I just love what he said about the message board in general and some of these things. And it gets to moderation. I really appreciate your thoughtful reply. As for examples of posts that I wish weren't deleted, I can't really give you specific examples because they're all deleted. And I can't see them anymore. But I do appreciate humor, zaniness, and what some call trolling on the forum. While I enjoy posts about running, I really like to come to the site to unwind and laugh along with some of the fun posts, even ones that are far away from the topic of running. I also appreciate the fact that LRC is one of the last sites where conservatives and liberals interact on an even playing field. Some of the interactions are messy, but no one is really allowed to live in an echo chamber on LRC, and there's value in that. I've had some of my posts deleted that are are critical of wokeness, and that's too bad. I'm careful to never use profanity or abusive language. I agree with the need for some moderation. Blatant profanity, personal information, or naked racism should be removed. But the moderation has, removed, has moved far beyond that to removing posts that are critical, funny, or so that some would consider trolling. It is telling that you yourself, Robert, have admitted that you find yourself laughing at posts that are quickly deleted. It's a sign that things have gone too far. Because I did tell him, sometimes I think a troll post is funny, it's humorous, and if you don't realize the person's being humorous, it gets deleted. So, hey, moderating is imperfect science, but it can be fun. And I think this post is not an invasion of Jordan Hussey's things to debate what her boyfriend looks like. I think it's funny. Like she posted it. She's happy with him. But this was person who said, oh, wait, is that Galen Rupp or Jordan, the male version of Hussey, was right on the money. I think the most illuminating part of that email was the realization that conservatives and liberals are both on let's run. I didn't think of it that way, but it's true. There are definitely some right-wing loonies and some left-wing loonies on let's run. And you know, they will go at it from time to time, but both of them will interact there. And I feel, I don't know, maybe that does happen in other sports forums, that sort of thing. But like political th- forums, no, you just, you would go on your own sort of sides forum. With running, there aren't that many options. If you like running, you're conservative. If you like running, you're left-winged. You got to go to letsrun.com. So I kind of I like that point. 
Speaking of left wing and right wing, Looney's a very similar email. Harambe. I think people would be shocked that I can't think. He's a prolific poster. He's on the left, right? I don't know what the alignments of my posters are. Sorry. I, I just know that guy gets it. And I was like, he, he's emailing about, I never heard from him before. And he was using a real name. And I'm like, hey, man, you know, sorry for the trouble. You know, you seem to get a lot of, I don't know if abuse is the right word. He goes, it's all right. I get it. I love what's run. He goes, and, I, and I, I give it out too. So I think there's a good understanding. And speaking of the forums, guys, we have a new section of the website, post of the day. Sometimes it's thread of the day. It may not be every day, but I started it this week. And Robert, you were talking about trolling. We'll go there real quickly. There was this Atlantic article. Try to find it here. Actually, before we get there. Well, the Atlantic is different from the New Yorker, John, but they're pretty similar, right? Or would people take offense at that? I feel like they're pretty similar. The first ever Letron.com post today was... Malcolm Gladwell is Joe Rogan for people who read the New Yorker. I thought it was pretty clever. I think you should, people could take that as a compliment both ways around. I think a lot of people might disagree with me calling it a compliment to both people. But I'm not sure how much crossover there is between Joe Rogan and Malcolm Gladwell, probably more than people would admit to. This Atlantic article was called Separating Sports by Sex Doesn't Make Sense. The article was a little more nuanced, but I was wondering, like, are they trolling? Come on. They know how to get clicks, right? Oh, people click the shit out of it. I, I didn't actually read that article, so I can't weigh in. But the, tit- the title's just wrong. It, we've, we've had this discussion. We don't need to go into a depth on it on Let's Run, but they separate sex for a reason, athletes by sex for a reason. If it was just one open competition biological males would completely dominate in every sport at every level. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was talking about you sport. You sport is different. And it was also talking about elite sport. We separate by sex, not gender. So women's elite sport can exist. It would not exist. Essentially. The top women athletes would be like decent male athletes. Essentially is how it work or really good athletes, depending how you want to quantify it. But. The CEO of the Atlantic, Nicholas Thompson, huge runner. He's like the, what is it? The 40 and up American record holder. It's crazy. It's the marathon times. 50 50 and up. I mean, it's crazy, but I don't think he's editorial control of the site, but he probably told the man, clickbait headlines, man, go for it. So trolls on let's run trolls on the Atlantic. Well, the author of the piece, I forgot her name, but she's writing a book on women and running. I did some research, so. Can't wait for that to come out because if it extols any, like, like Shailene Flanagan would be a pretty bad male runner. Who would be? Shailene Flanagan. <laughs> Sorry. Never got sold. Uh, I, I actually, I can't wait for that. If she is writing a book, maybe Ro- we bring back book reviews and Rojo just rips into that thing because I'm sure you'd have a few things to say about it. Speaking of Shailene Flanagan... Should we talk about the newest addition to the Bowman Track Club? They had some news. It's not Cooper because he hasn't officially been announced, but we announced that a couple weeks ago. Christina Aragon from Stanford has joined the team. I thought this was interesting because is this team now just 50% Stanford? They've got Sean McGordy, Grant Fisher, Thomas Ratcliffe. Vanessa Fraser is no longer there, I guess, but Elise Cranny. It's 
pretty much anyone went to call. I mean, obviously Stanford gets a lot of good recruits, but I found this interesting because I sort of see it. This is like Jerry Schumacher betting on talent doesn't go away. One of Let's Run's core philosophies. Christina Aragon, if you guys don't recall, she was third at the World Junior Championships in 2016. Bronze medalist. That was her senior year of high school. She ran 408 for 1500 meters. She never ran a personal best in high, in college at Stanford in the 1500, but she did make four NCAA finals. She finished seventh, fourth, eighth, and third. So Jerry is basically, I think he's probably looking at what she did when she was a high schooler and from what he knows from some of her former teammates. He's taking a chance on her. The interesting thing I found about this was She's already 25 years old. She's only two months younger than Grant Fisher, but she just finished up her college eligibility this year. She's only one year younger than Elise Cranny. And what the reason I had the comparison to Cranny, Cranny was fourth at World Juniors, her senior year of high school. She never won NCAA, so she, though she didn't end up PRing. And then she turned into a star with Bowman. So, Robert, what do you make of this signing, and what do you expect from Christina Aragon as a pro? I think it's disgusting, John. Yet another example of white privilege. These rich white kids. Why don't they're rich? I'll go into Bowerman. Thank God they have Mohamed on the team or this. No, I'm kidding. Um, look, well, is this going to hurt Jerry's recruiting? Like, why go to Oregon when Jerry signs all the Stanford, <laughs> Stanford people? So if I'm the Stanford coach and I'm recruiting against Jerry Schumacher, what I say without end is, hey, where did Jerry Schumacher's own son go to school? Stanford, Oregon. He went to Stanford. That's point number one. Point number two is you can still come here and run for Jerry as a pro, and we know he'll do it because he'll sign it. I actually think it's smart because, like, look, when you're recruiting, whether it's high school, college, or pros, right? yes, high school recruiting does occur, but I used to always say I'm not recruiting times. I'm recruiting talent. This woman is a big talent. And you want to, you're trying to find diamonds in the rough always because you don't, then if you have a certain budget, you can pay for less, get them for less. But like some of the Stanford athletes, I mean, Swelden's a perfect example. He was, I know he wasn't a Stanford athlete, he was a Yale. Some of these people that go to really demanding academic schools, whether it's the Ivy League, whether it's Stanford, they don't reach the running potential because the stress of school does impact their performance. So maybe she's driven, you know, she's not living at altitude. Maybe she's stressed academically. And, if she takes that academic aspect of the plate, you know, maybe she can realize this potential. So I, I think it's smart. I, I, I don't know, you know, what to expect, but I don't know of any other coach that's really hit at the same level that he has on some of these people who were not superstars in college. Woody Kincaid is a perfect example. Christine, oh, that's Aragon what I was going to say. Yeah. Jerry, Jerry's a great talent identifier. And if he's in on someone, I think they're probably going to, like Vanessa Fraser didn't win an NCAA title. She ended up running really fast when she was healthy, 1448, I think, for Jerry. So, yeah, I think if he thinks she's going to succeed, probably a good, good chance if she can stay healthy that she will. It is interesting, the age thing. She is a little bit old to be, you know, coming right out of college at 25. And so the other thing we didn't mention, genetics, Robert. You know her dad, Chuck Aragon, 146, 800. 334 for the 1500. So, you know, she's got some good bloodlines there. And one other point you made, you said, oh, where did Jerry's son, Josh Schumacher, go? You know, he went to 
Stanford, have you checked the Oregon cross-country roster ro- lately, Robert? Do you know who Josh Schumacher runs for now? Oregon. Yeah, that's right. So I'm going to be interested. He didn't really do much when he was at Stanford, so I'll be seeing if uh, his dad can get anything out of him this fall. Speaking of the Oregon cross-country roster, we were going to mention Jerry Schumacher has gotten his big first big recruit to the University of Oregon. It's Connor Burns, who in June ran 358. He set the U.S. junior class record for the mile, breaking Jim Ryan's record, 358. And he has announced he is going to be attending Oregon starting in the fall of 2023. I don't know if there's anything else to say about that, but clearly combination of having Jerry and Shalane there, Oregon's great facilities, Haywood Field, something won him over. What do you make of that commitment? Well, I think it's a great start for Jerry's recruiting class. Kids like to jump on the bandwagon. You get a stud like that first, other kids will follow. True. Point number one. Point number two, he's got a lot of, a lot of connections here. Jerry's using back and forth. First of all, the Stanford angle, like, he gets Stanford to recruit his son, and then he says, hey, I'll sign all of your athletes as pro if you get him go to get the Stanford diploma. So they're, it's a payback between the coaches. Now they're rivals, though, so we'll see how that works out. Um, but here, I mean, it probably doesn't hurt. Connor Burns' dad doesn't hurt. Connor Burns' dad coached uh, Carissa Schweizer, right? And, and uh, I mean, not Carissa Schweizer. Um, no, Carissa Schweizer. Has, had, his dad is Mark Burns, who was Carissa Schweizer's college coach at Missouri. So... He's probably still close to Carissa. Carissa probably raves about Jerry, thinks he's great, and says, hey, you know. They, and also, obviously, Connor's been following Carissa because he was probably like 10, 12 when she was a star. Like, his, his whole, as he's gotten into running, Carissa was a star. And then he follows it as a, with her dad, and then she goes pro and with Jerry. So he's going to have good feelings because she's been doing so well under Jerry. So it's kind of natural that he would go there, I think. Yeah, that, I mean... It's interesting. That's like with Jerry recruiting, you he's probably going to be able to get a number of the diehard running fan. If you're a huge running fan in high school, you're going to be more likely to go Jerry because you see all the success he's had with pros. And obviously, I don't know, may, maybe you would also go to NAU because Mike Smith's had a lot of success. But depends. If you're a high school runner who follows a lot of professional running. Not that many of them are on top of it that much. Well, that's the think. thing. Are, are they on top of it, or are they following college running more closely? What do you follow? I don't know, but yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I'm just talking about my ass here. But Jerry coaching Grant Fisher, like that is going to be a recruiting tool. He's going to be able to use. Someone's going to say, "Wow, Grant Fisher, he's the best American distance runner right now. He ran so well. Who's his coach again? Oh, it's Jerry Schumacher. I'll run for that guy. Can't hurt." I'd have a hard time seeing that organizer coach all those people and recruit. But anyways, I'm sure I'll do a great job. All right, this is enough, John. Until Sunday, we're doing the Friday 15 bonus podcast on Sunday, right after Berlin. I think we'll do it live. Let's run that comes. I subscribe if you want it on tape delay because you want to get up at 6 a.m. or whatever it is because it's perfect because a lot of you won't be watching the race live. You'll need to hear us break it down for you when you wake up and are driving to your NFL game, driving to church or whatever. So that is a wrap for this week. Congratulations. Evan Jager is now a dad. Kate Grace is now married. Happy life to both of them.